0: Welcome to NavChat, the show for the New Zealand Orienteering and Navigation sports community. Tom, welcome back for another month. How are you? Hey, how are you? Yeah, I'm well here in Wellington. It's been a quiet month for me. January kicked the Orienteering season off pretty hard and... um, February hasn't lived up to the events of January. It's been very quiet. Uh, Looking forward to some events coming up over the next few months, though. uh, Although, um, certainly watching uh, the COVID situation, uh, definitely open to um, events either getting getting cancelled if if the the case numbers is is just putting too much pressure um, on people or... Yeah, I there's there's obviously some threshold for me when the case numbers are just so high that I decide that maybe it's better to stay. I'm I'm not quite sure where that, that number is. Um, but hey, hey, a, you say a you've number.
1: done you say you've done orienteering. It's been cranking here in the Waikato. Really? Last week I orienteered three days in a week. It was pretty good. <laughs> We've got our um there's a summer sprint series, which is mean because it's not just a summer it's like street row game. It's like basically sprint orienteering, which is real cool. The course last week, I reckon, would not have been out of place in a um, higher-grade event. It was, it was really good. We used like some schools with some really awesome route choice through some streets and had you kind of gassed physically when you went into the technical terrain, just like we were talking about last week. Um, the course setter had set it really well to mix the physical with the technical challenges. Uh, we've had a summer... Uh, farm event which was really good some rock terrain down near whare papa in south waikato and uh, we've also had some club trainings which have been pretty cool as well so yeah you may not have been orienteering but i've probably orienteered more than i have in uh six to 12 months it's been great
0: yeah that sounds like a good mix and most places in new zealand can do sprint orienteering like that there's always always a college somewhere
1: yep it's, it's pretty good i there's a lot of Pretty good sprint maps around Hamilton. Yeah. Okay. Not a bad spot.
0: Yeah, just another question. You've got Godzone coming up.
1: Yeah. Yep. Tomorrow yeah. I'm uh hopping on the plane down to Queenstown and then yeah. heading to Wanaka. And we know where the start is now. Gonna be kicking off from Jackson Bay down on this, down in South Westland. Should be sweet, pretty sweet. And we know it's a traverse course, they've called it. So we we're expecting to go across to the east coast. Mm-hmm. Um, but who knows? Haven't got maps yet. Yeah, uh, they'll be tracking as usual. Um, we're team for some reason. Team number one again makes it easy. We mm-hmm. pop on, popping at the top of the list. Esther yep. MacPath. So keep an eye out. But there's also tons of tons of other orienteers. Greta Narston is making her expedition wow. racing debut. Cool. Oh. Um, who else have we got in there? Obviously all the regulars, Chris and yeah. um, Rachel Smith. Um, yep. Yeah, plenty of orienteers if you look through that mm-hmm. entry list. And how
0: are you feeling personally going into this, your fifth or something, Godzone? This
1: is my God sixth Godzone, seventh yeah. expedition race. Yeah. yeah. Um, good. We've got the same team as last year. Last year, the four of us hadn't done anything together. So we've got infinitely more experience this year. Um, from a navigation perspective, our team, we've got three confident navigators, um, Hannah can also navigate too. So you could say at a pinch, all four of Mm -hmm. us could navigate. Um, But Sean and I share the navigation. We both have very, very different navigation styles, which we have kind of incorporated into how we race. It's quite good. You kind of have two people who uh, navigate using quite different information. And then as long as you have good communication and can integrate that together, you develop redundancy in your navigating. Places where my navigation technique doesn't work very well, Mm -hmm. Sean's generally does and vice versa. So... Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. I
0: haven't quite heard that before. I've heard of many teams having a lead navigator who is very skilled and they put all their trust in that person, but this kind of two-pronged approach is something I haven't heard before. So that's interesting. It's
1: uh, Partly because, I mean, to be completely honest, probably because Sean's a better navigator than me, but I refuse to let go of the maps. you know, <laughs> if I'm completely honest about it. No, we've each <laughs> got our strengths and weaknesses um, and uh, we're both quite happy to navigate all the race and we've got a pretty good environment in our team where two of us navigate, and then we've got Gene Z in, in the background who is able to navigate himself as well, but can act as like the kind of brains kind of brain the operation, I guess, kind of behind it, who is very good at having, and very experienced now. He's done more races. This is his ninth race. So uh, is very good at kind of helping to integrate that information as we go. Um, it just means that we can... Carry more speed, and that's where redundancy is in navigation, right? If you can add redundancy while maintaining your speed, you're going to make fewer mistakes. Okay.
0: Yeah, um, well, that sounds really interesting, and good luck for mm. the racing ahead. So, uh, we'll be watching with a lot of interest as you guys get closer to the top each year you're doing this. So, um, that's really cool to see. So, yeah. should we get should into our, our future guest? Yeah, this one.
1: Mm. Yeah, this one- this one, I mean, it's on a on a, on a racing theme, um, not adventure racing, not orienteering, but it's about some of the um, Canterbury-based junior elites, juniors, elites, who have uh, took upon themselves to organize some pretty exciting racing in the um, Canterbury Port Hills. Um, Dougal Shepherds, who you caught up with? Shall we have a listen? Yeah, let's have a listen to Dougal.
2: How's it going?
0: Hey, Dougal. Thanks for coming on NAPChat
2: no worries thanks for having me
0: yeah so i saw you get you guys were organizing some some races and i wanted you to tell us about uh what these races are what it's like uh being like a young organizing team and yeah so what's the uh initial idea who had who started this off
2: um so it kind of stemmed from um the wild things um running group there's there's a Mount Vernon Challenge um, and a few other kind of local, just like up and back sort of races. And so, um, for those yeah, that don't know,
0: Mount Vernon is uh, in the Port Hills, right?
2: In the Port Hills, yeah. And then and
0: pretty accessible um, is that straight one? up from town.
2: Yeah, from the uh, Mount Vernon one's from Mount Vernon Car Park. Um, just goes up Mount Vernon and comes down the farm track, one of the other tracks. Um, and there's been a couple of them. Um, just sort of fun, free, like, local races. Um, And then, yeah, I was thinking, well, um, like, surely there could, like, be a weekly series um, for it. And so I had some chats with um, some guys about just, like, sort of a free series, um, just a fun thing. And then we're like, oh, well, um, I talked to Scott Smith, um, who has the Crazy Care um, events. And we were like, oh, surely make it a wee, a wee side hustle and um, make some money to go to Europe this year, hopefully. And um, yeah, so it came from that.
0: How many races are you planning to put on in the series?
2: Uh, three. So we just had our second one last night.
0: Cool. Yeah. And how long are these races? And yeah, what, what format are they? Are they a straight running race?
2: Yeah, so they're around about 8Ks. Um, each week they summit a different peak in the Port Hills. Um, and we've found the winning times have been about 40 minutes um, for Joe. Um, and yeah, we've had about 70, 70 people um, signing up for each of them. So I've been pretty happy with that.
0: Cool. Yeah, that's really good for a first year. And yeah, yeah maybe if if the response continues to be good, is this something you'll consider doing uh, in the future or is this just a one-off for this year's Europe trip?
2: Yeah, I guess it will depend on um, where I end up for my job next year Um, after finishing uni. But yeah, I was thinking like next summer, it could be a good sort of take the summer off and do something, um, not not get into a full-time job straight away, and just organise some races or do something like that. Yeah.
0: Cool. So there's you and Scott Smith. Is there anyone else who's uh, involved?
2: Yeah, so I've taken the lead on most of the admin sort of stuff and Scott's taking care of um, the insurance and some of the stuff that I wasn't too sure about. And then um, we've got Brianna um, and Ollie and also Ayrton Shadbolt um, helping out on the day, um, being marshals and that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah. No, yeah. Are there road crossings to navigate?
2: Yeah. Um, normally there's one or two cause you have to go across the summit road to get to the peaks. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. Is there anything else that you've learned while trying to organize these races? I mean, yeah, maybe you've learned a bit about the health and safety side also.
2: Yeah. We've done a little bit of health and safety sort of stuff at uni. So using that, um, and dealing with the council, um, was definitely a key sort of learning um yeah a couple of like back and forth things with the council like that kind of seemed like um not the obvious way of doing things like I put in the health and safety plan that would put out signs just to show like say um runners will be crossing and they said oh well if you're going to do that you have to have a full traffic management plan I was like, oh, I don't want to get involved with that. So they just said, oh, just take away the signs, <laughs> and then you want that issue. And I was like, what? Like, surely, like, yeah. And that's kind of transferred to my work, my my actual um summer work in forestry as well, because they have that same problem with putting out like trucks trucks crossing signs. Um, and the boss said he just puts them out anyway because, like, he thinks it's it's beneficial for the for the community, like, to actually have them there. So, yeah, health and safety and um, insurance and, like, public liability sort of stuff was definitely new stuff. But, yeah, a lot of the, like, people, organisations stuff were already done with orienteering sort of event stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that, that's really cool that there are some people who are getting familiar with these skills because I often feel like it's something that many of the people involved in organising orienteering don't want to deal with. And so having those skills uh, makes you a huge asset to uh, organizing orienteering events in the future. So, yeah, that's really cool Mm -hmm. to see younger people getting those kinds of experiences.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: So good luck with the the third and final one uh, of the series. And, yeah, Yeah. keep a a lookout for your events in the future.
2: Awesome. Cheers, Jane
0: did that remind you listening to Dougal of that race that we organized many years ago in Auckland fundraising trail
1: running race that we did? Oh yeah. Yeah. It did actually. Uh, Enduro trail run.
0: Yeah. That so was that, a, that was a different way. Well, we tried time. <laughs> yeah. We tried to bring the, uh, it was mainly, I think uh, your brainchild, I think bringing the, uh, timings, what timing into trail running with some, uh, intermediate time sections that were worth extra points. Yeah. Maybe before us time, yet to be i you know, still think i still run.
1: think it's got its merits i still think it's yeah. got its merits one day enduro trail. if anyone's got an idea once the Lucine wants to organize an event enduro trail run yeah. um so
0: enduro hasn't copied off that the mountain bike enduro style
1: yeah with hey for th- these guys they could do it they could use sport event timing you have a king of the mountain and a descent
0: yeah
1: leader great um but no i think what they're doing is awesome i think It's a cool way to um, develop some transferable skills that are good for orienteering. And it's a great way to pay the bills when you've got to get across to Europe for some orienteering too.
0: Yeah, it really does solve both those problems. And yeah, I I was really encouraged. And I'd only heard about that very last minute when uh, NE was heading down to Christchurch uh, just a a few days before that. And um, someone said, oh, hey, check out these (laughs) Dougal's organizing a running race. go join. And I was like, "What? Google's organizing running races? So, yeah. I I mean, that kind of that's one of the most pleasant surprises. um, You can see, as someone who's invested in the success of the orienteering community, to see people take interest in developing skills that you don't have, and without these skills, we couldn't run the sport. So it's so essential that everyone can do one thing, uh, just one job, and, and help out." the collective a bit more so yeah I was really really thrilled to see them organize those races even if they're not orienteering directly yeah, it's really those skills that matter.
1: I think looking ahead to this year we've got the National Orienteering League and National Sprint League happening uh, I think that the environment that's present at the moment in Christchurch with uh, training, organizing races, the orienteering that's going on as well I think that it's building a Southerly Storm into a pretty formidable uh, group of runners, especially when we're thinking of the teams competition as well. Lots of depth, lots of lots of focus on physical preparation, lots of navigation. Um, it's going to be a hard ask for Central Scorchers and Northern Knights to take that team on. I think.
0: Yeah, uh, especially if the uh, fifth round was to organise a race yourself. I think, uh, well, yes, yeah, Storm would point. <laughs> would win. Well, you know, maybe that's sure.
1: how you could. How do you integrate that into the points? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> We're going to build from that. We're thinking uh, about National Orienteering League and one of the upcoming rounds is going to be the Jaywalk Trials, COVID asterisk but I would think it will probably go ahead. don't know, we'll see. Uh, but anyway, the Jaywalk Trials are due to be in the end of March down in the Manawatu or Wairarapa, Manawatu, Wairarapa. I get them mixed up. Anyway, the lower half of the North Island, gully spur terrain, and we thought it was a good opportunity to revisit Um what are foundation techniques and handrails and stepping stones, but how you might apply those in gully spur terrain. Do you have the maps, Gene? Yeah,
0: let's take a look. So we'll uh, we'll first just jump uh, to yeah, to that news item and then we'll, we'll flip back to to the coaching just to um, give it some context. So, uh, yeah, the, the map, um, Glenn Lean has uh, one name. Uh, you also might hear Mingi Mingi. Uh, is another name. Uh, this is the last time I was on this map. It was on a training camp, and we did some route choice exercise. It's a very appropriate map for route choice. And so, there's an article here on the ONZ website that you can easily search to see the comments there from from Malcolm. Uh, this this is part of the map. The map is very mm. varied and continues further south with some different style of terrain. But this section here is a like very typical spur gully. And uh, the valleys are green, which makes the Brute Choice, uh, pushes the root Choice dynamics in a certain direction. And there's a lot of similar features, a lot of spurs that are all about the same size, all kind of smooth, uh, a lot of saddles and like false peaks as you go up these spurs. So yeah, a lot of repetition, small streams.
1: So, so, um, so the key with this, I guess, is how do you, A, identify handrails, and B, in terrain that's very repetitive, how do you choose stepping stones? How do you choose things that are distinctive enough? Should we tackle the handrails first, Gene?
0: Yeah, I, I did want to tackle um, handrails. And I wanted to flip back to the coaching framework. This is in the red section, advanced handrails and stepping stones. I've got some good ideas here for some coaching exercises that I think are really useful to further develop this very core skill at red level orienteering and stepping stones and handrails uh, is about finding a very reliable way to the control, but also about avoiding finding yourself on a parallel feature. And I think that's gonna be a really important part of those races going forward. And so one exercise to help develop this technique uh, that I really like is, is this instructional exercise. I've got a little guide here on the coaching framework that people should check out to explain the exercise more fully, but I'll I'll go just the 10 second version is you're running with a partner and you're telling them what to look for. So you've got the map and they are just following your instructions, but you're not saying go left, go right. You're saying, look for the such and such. And that's so key when you're in terrain with multiple spurs and multiple valleys, because you can't just say, oh, look for the spur. You've got to point out something unique about the correct spur. And something incorrect about the incorrect spur so that they get on the on the right line and i think those that are doing those races should really take heed of that that concept that it's not just about what is a good set of instructions like a plausible set of instructions what is a foolproof set of instructions so down the hill and then up the spur is not foolproof when you jump to a map like this because you could be going up multiple spurs you could even be going down multiple slopes if you don't have your compass sorted. so Okay, so you
1: talked about how you can make sure, you talked about the importance of identifying handrails distinctively. Sometimes that's not entirely, I mean, sometimes you need to rewind a step further to what you can use as handrails in this terrain. Um, And that advanced handrail selection here, there's a, a lot more features on this map than some other gully spur maps, which allows you to use other things. So obviously beginner level handrails, tracks, rivers, fences, kind of intermediate, you're getting into your distinct spurs. But the other thing you can start to incorporate here is uh, changes in slope as an advanced level handrail where you've got a bit of terrain that's going from flat to steep or um the slope levels out a bit and you're going to stay at the the change in slope. Um, I'm thinking that start triangle there. Um, You've got this edge around the um the control, yeah, right there, just in the upper half of the screen. You've got this edge around the top of the steep terrain. You've actually got quite a good handrail there where you can stay in the white running forest. Um so that advanced handrail selection is the first step, thinking in advance of what you can use. Then the secondary part you've got is how do you make sure that you've identified that handrails, handrail accurately and you're not making a parallel error. Um there's another good yeah, example
0: of that uh, just here when there's definitely scope to make a mistake on these three spurs if you're really sloppy coming off the hilltop here. But as you come down them, this one has little hills. This has a broad flat area and this has neither. So it, there's a, an example of making the plan foolproof. So there, there's a way to distinguish what is the wrong spur, not just am I on a spur.
1: Now, you mentioned stepping stones as well, where well, you've got a handrails where you have a linear feature that you can follow, can guide you along part of your leg. Stepping stones are more point features or uh, points on lines where, which you can jump between to get between two controls. Now, there are some really typical stepping stones that gully spur terrain gives us, which... I think probably one of my favorite stepping stones around, which is a really distinct saddle. Um, Trying to link up saddles is a great way to make sure that you're in just the right spot. What are some of the other stepping stones that you look for on terrain like this?
0: Yeah, well, firstly, I just just heard that that the saddles are uh, really useful because not only does it tell you you're on the right line, it also tells you exactly where your height is. So uh, they're really good. Uh, on this map here, you've got some of these small hills that are stony as well, these little rocky outcrops. So uh, if, if you're even near near some of these, these little guys, uh, that's going to stand out quite a lot. So th- that's the next best one. And it just gets trickier from then on. I also like these trees, these distinctive trees. There's a lot of them over here by this number eight and number nine. Mm-hmm. They will stand out when you've got um, a pine forest that's very Uh, every tree is the same age and planted at the same time, and then you have some totally different tree species uh, planted under the canopy, just growing under the canopy, then uh, it stands out. You know, someone telling you to look for a tree in a forest sounds ridiculous until you realize that it's a different kind of tree. Uh, Mm.
1: So that's, that's all examples of point features. The other thing you can use as a stepping stone is you can use, an intersection with a handrail. So like crossing a handrail perpendicular. Mm -hmm. Um, The kind of typical teaching on that is when you cross a linear feature, you should identify where you've crossed it. Um, Often you can use that by looking at other things. But I think that in gully spur terrain, one of the really useful applications of that is checking your direction when you cross creeks and, and roads. You can see here, this map's basically intersected in multiple ways by this trap network, as well as this large creek network. You can say, oh, I'm gonna cross the creek and then climb the spur. That's like you said before, asking for trouble. Better to make the creek into a stepping stone and say, I'm gonna cross the creek at this point. I'm gonna check my, I'm gonna know I'm at that point because I'm gonna check my direction and then I'm gonna climb the correct spur, which has this characteristic about it. What do you think about that? Yeah,
0: yeah, I think that's a great point. And the intersection, of interest in a lot of these, uh, a lot of kind of legs, like you've described, could be a stream junction or a stream branching. And instead of just leaving the stream where you feel like leaving the stream, maybe stay in the stream a bit longer so that you get to the junction. And then when you leave the stream, you know precisely where you've left the stream, Uh, no ambiguity, Or, or maybe there's something that crosses the stream, like a fence or a track continue on just until you get a um, 100% confidence in, in where you are.
1: Cool. All right, so let's wind this back to a little summary. So we're going to say, first of all, handrails and stepping stones have some important considerations in gully spur terrain. Um, the first point we want to make is around handrails. You want to make sure that you're choosing something distinctive you can identify um, and avoiding parallel error. You're wanting to consider things like saddles, and other point features that are distinctive when you're thinking of stepping stones. And then lastly, don't forget that a handrail, if you cross it at an early point, can also become a really useful stepping stone for moving through this terrain. Um, Lastly, have a check of the coaching framework in advanced or in the red section, and it kind of runs this down again.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Including some training exercises. Great.
0: Yeah, some super training exercises there to really help develop the skills that you went through. So check them out.
1: What have we got in uh, the news this week?
0: Yeah. So we do have some racing coming up. um, Like you said, Uh, this is um, my first time I'm entered. Uh, This will be my first time doing a uh, knockout sprint. So I'm looking forward to this. I've done a knockout sprint training and thought it was quite interesting. Actually, I didn't think it would be my thing, uh, but... Yeah, it seems cool. So I'm looking forward to racing this. And a bit nervous already. It's so head-to-head. And it's so decisive and cutthroat who who the the winners and losers are. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely a little bit nervous about going head-to-head with people. So, yeah, let's see. Let's see what this is like. So we've got a whole bunch of sprint racing in Palmerston North uh, over next weekend. And, yeah, looking forward to it.
1: Yeah. Oh, this, Palmerston North is made for Sprint Orienteering. It's got, these maps are all excellent. I think Massey University is probably one of my favourite sprint, sprint maps in the country. So this will be cool. Um, I'm going to be in the Hills for God zone, so I won't be there. But hopefully COVID pending, um, can all go ahead. Um, yeah. Now and then- we've got not just the National Sprint League, but National Orienteering League. We've already mentioned this.
0: Yeah, so we have some more, more races. More, more points, go. more points up for grab in the uh National O-League. So I'm not going to be racing this because I'm actually involved in planning some of the courses. So I'm on the sidelines for at least the long distance. Um, but I, I, I um, it looks looks good. That Glenn map is uh, good quality. And I think the courses are gonna be good too.
1: Sweet. I won't ask you to tell too much, tell us too much about it, but keep it a little bit so, secret. So yeah,
0: um, it says as, as, as secret as this web page uh, on the ONZ website. This is probably your best, best source of tips. And this is all yeah, open for, for people to have have a look at likewise this map. Cool. On to cool. something more uh, international. This was um, email in my inbox last night on uh, IOF asking me to fill out a survey. Uh, if you didn't get that email, then the link to the survey is, is here on the IOF website. And you can find this article pretty clearly on the front page of their website. And I thought this was interesting. Um, this issue first uh, cropped up at World tearing Champs a number of years ago uh, is this um, a, a topic of discussion that has stumbled uh, that you've stumbled across before, Tom?
1: Yeah, oh, this has been an issue for a while, hasn't it? It's long. Uh, this has been discussed, I'd say, probably for close to ten years, at least, probably longer. Yeah. It's been a discussion point ever since I've been a mm-hmm. kind of when, when I was an elite. Yeah, um, yeah should men as a men and women have the same length long distance? Probably, I'd say. I mean, that's what I'd say, but yeah. Um, I, it doesn't mean the same course. It just means the same winning time. I think that makes complete sense. Yeah. So I do my a lot take... of sports are pretty backwards when it comes to this. Cycling is also the same. Pretty backwards.
0: Yeah. Well, I think I think my, t- my take is a bit different to this. And I was kind of of the... I shared your point of view before I saw this issue get raised at World Champs uh, those years ago. And... Uh, my thinking was totally changed by the outcome of uh, that. And was that? My thinking was that I just I, I, I now realise I take issue with the question, or at least the presentation of the question. And that's well, we've got. Uh, we're assuming that IOF is the right person to or the right group to be deciding what the course length should be, and obviously they're the, the only people who can sign off on what the course. The winning times should be, but what they did at that World Champs is they asked all the women uh, in in the field to vote, right? And whatever their outcome is, I, I'm indifferent in to. I mean, it, it affects them and really them alone. So um, the idea that people who were not actually in the competition are deciding on what the people in the competition um, ought, ought to be doing. Or at least, you know, deciding for them uh, just actually struck me as as the mistake that's been been made, and maybe making the whole discussion kind of obsolete. Did, did that kind of make sense to you, the way I described it?
1: Uh, sort of. You're saying that you think that um, you're saying that the people who it affects should decide. Yeah. That people that are affected by this decision should decide.
0: Yeah. Just put it out to vote to the woman, the women's athletes, and. Kind of in this debate of people who have like arguments on either side
1: about whether this is, um, you know, just some legacy. What about if you're really? What about if you're winning now and you're winning with short winning times, and you know you suck when the distances get longer? You're going to vote to keep it the same, aren't you? You are.
0: You are right.
1: So that would be. Why is it different? Why were they ever different?
0: I don't know. But what's the future going to be? Yeah. So what's the what's the future going to be? Let's see. Maybe there is a reason that people like it. The, the current way it was, which was the outcome of the vote those years ago at well, is the consensus was, at least the majority yeah, the consensus. Okay. Well, it depends what you mean by consensus. It wasn't like an overpowering majority, but there was a majority that voted to keep them the same. And that included a mix of countries, some of the top countries, some of the, the smaller countries. Um, and people said, no, this 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 suits. This you can say that if seven? you change
1: it from one year to the next, there would potentially be a year where it would like undermine competition a little bit. Maybe if you had like a sudden change, just in terms of people's preparations. But yeah, does it? If, who decides? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I can see that point of view. I also think that that's like, like all decisions in sport are somewhat arbitrary.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think I think the decision ultimately is arbitrary. Isn't, and so it's more about no the right process wrong than answer, the yeah. yeah, that's right. It, it, but a wrong answer is changing something that wasn't done with due consultation and the people who it affects were not put first and foremost in the decision-making process. So it's, it's more about like a, a process outcome than a um, outcome outcome because it's um, ultimately arbitrary. Um, yeah. Uh, I think that's why did you vote
1: then? Why did you vote? Why did you put your vote in then?
0: Oh, my vote was was that. I take issue with the question. How about other women, not me?
1: Fair enough. Because I used to think that's a bit like, yeah. Interesting. Neither you nor I are an elite woman. So, yeah, we will see. That's right.
0: Whereas if they're asking me about the distance of the the men's, men's winning time should be, yeah. Um, I actually quite like where it is. but I just look at, I mean, my
1: yeah. I guess at least I was trying to do something about it. I just look at cycling and cycling's like paralyzed by like mm-hmm. anything. They can't make any decisions about anything really. Mm-hmm. Um, but we will see what IOF do with this. Mm-hmm. Speaking yeah. of IOF, they were some world championships events, which New Zealand did not have any competitors <laughs> at. Somewhat niche. Okay. This is like the niche of the niche, I think.
0: Yeah, this seems to be the only thing going on um, at the moment. Still winter in Europe, so there's not much forest orienteering going on. But there is some ski orienteering, which is kind of cool. And yeah, I thought we should check it out. Um, did you watch much of the Winter Olympics?
1: Uh, I don't have a TV, so not yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah, I so saw, I, um, I don't I don't either. I but I was at a friend's house once, and
0: we uh, had the biathlon on and watched the pursuit with the biathlon, which is basically like, Chasing Start for Orienteering. Um, And, you know, you can see the crossover between uh, cross-country skiing and Orienteering. There's such a heavy influence in um, the way the courses are started and um, the the way a lot of the athletes, like, hold themselves, I think. uh, Very Nordic sports. Yeah, yeah, very... You can see the cultural crossovers. And the thing with the pursuit is... At least at the biathlon at the Olympics is it was a gold medal for like essentially the prologue as well, which is the sprint, and then they start with those start intervals into like a medal race. So if you you know there there, there was like two medals medals up for grabs in the chasing start essentially, which I thought was a bit strange, um, but it's the same here in uh, the, the the scheme. You can yeah you can see that. Same kind of thing going on, which is a bit different. So uh, let's have a look at the sprint course here. Very similar to mountain bike orienteering, mm-hmm. it's fast tracks, slow tracks, and some pretty pretty big calls as well. You'd have to have scope with terrain and know the conditions quite
1: well. Um, What's the trident? Don't know. <laughs> Good question. Not allowed to go there. <laughs>
0: uh so yeah this is this is ski orienteering. people taking the um it starts over there so see some pretty uh kind of, yeah pretty fast decision making very similar to mountain bike orienteering. Uh, you really have to get the exit direction sorted
1: um you can't just out of the control <laughs> you need to stand the groomed trails i guess as well you can't be can't be bringing your Alpine ski touring set up and just smashing straight between all the controls. Mm-hmm. I don't know enough about ski. I don't know enough about cross country skiing. Um, It does look quite technical though. I think you were right. Exit direction is pretty key. Wow. That's massive.
0: Yeah. Like there's a, a, just a lot of options on some of these trails and having a, a, good, a good framework to simplify the the navigational challenge, I think, is important. Um, I also don't have any experience with this, so I'm not really sure how long, how easy it is to read the map while skiing. I know not yeah. like orienteering is actually, the task of reading the map is half the challenge. Is uh, When is it actually safe to read the map? Yeah. So, and here's a couple of pictures in the terrain. So this is a Groom Trail, one of the, the bold, what the... Bold, thick, mm-hmm. green ones. So uh, that, that's fairly um, fast, fast travel compared to some of these uh, smaller ones. Uh, just between the trees, um, powder looking pretty, pretty thick there. So you can see why it's definitely slower going on these mm. yes, groomed ones.
1: Snow Farm, isn't that the, the Snow Farm off um, on the Pisa Range, is where they have the New Zealand annual ski orienteering event? Yes.
0: Did you know that New Zealand has a ski-oriented map and a ski-oriented race often?
1: So it's been done. Chris Fawn special? Yeah. I think, isn't he, wouldn't Chris be one of the best? I mean, I, I'd say he's
0: defending champion, <laughs> I would I mean, assume.
1: For someone who could hold mountain biking, mountain bike orienteering, foot-oriented and ski orienteering national titles, I think Chris would probably be about the only contender. Mm-hmm. Um, great interesting so we've got a big month coming up for some domestic sprint and national orienteering league competition Mm uh parting thought i was going to say we've heard from uh the christchurch crew about how they're running a kind of quick and dirty i guess you could say but uh uh, an event they're just making it happen what would you do gene if you had all the time in the world and you wanted to try and put on like a midweek event what would you do
0: so, I just assume that I'm, I'm here in Wellington. Yeah, so, Wellington. Yeah. yeah so, the, the midweek events here are really only going to be row games or uh, sprint orienteering or you know, some kind of trail run like that. There's simply no uh, quality uh, classic orienteering. Um, I'm not going to hold you. don't have to be held to on, this, on but what would you
1: do? Where, where would you put it? Yeah.
0: So, um, it's, an inter- yeah, it's an interesting one midweek because you're trying to avoid the are you trying to avoid the traffic or are you trying to get like close to where people work? So Mount Burke, Mount Burke. yeah, yeah, that's right. Like if you can hold, get it organized early enough, then people can do the event close to where they work and then commute later when rush hour is over. So that seems pretty smart. And I'd definitely be in favor of uh, yeah, easy access, urban, urban style orienteering, And I think that's why summer series in Auckland have been so successful. Uh, it's, if you're close enough, I guess it's very accessible. There's always enough people who are like close enough to Vivian that there's always a big turnout, and it's also accessible in the sense that anyone with just a, a smidgen of navigation know-how can have a good time. Um, it's it's not intimidating. Uh, it's not yeah uh, elitist in any way. So yeah, I, I I kind of like I I'd like more. The sprint stuff with the mapping is actually like decently reliable, not like these kind of old school urban maps that
1: uh, so you do, just, you do a Wellington, somewhere urban, up-to-date sprint map, single sprint course.
0: Yeah, singles, probably single sprint course or rogue. Or either way, I think it's as long as the map's good and as long as the control placements are interesting. Uh, yeah, that's that's all good. There we go. We got there. Fair enough came to a resolution, but yeah, you had me on the spot. I hadn't really um, thought about how to do that, but it's a good question to answer.
1: How about this? this, this? What about if you have like Hamilton, limited places to run, Mm. you have your set terrain. So for instance, you've got this like Hillary Hope Reserve, which is on the way out to Raglan. It's got maybe like five tracks that you can kind of link up. And I reckon you just have like a three or four control row gain and you just move them slightly each week. So it's more of a pack run. You, if you do that, you either do the four course, the three course, the two course, or the one course. You choose whichever way to go. So there's an element of choose your route, but it makes use of this mm. like uh, relatively restricted area to get between them. So yeah. um, it's a mixture okay. of a pack run with some very basic navigation. Mm. That's mine. Yeah. that would be mine.
0: Yeah, good use and certainly applicable to all the people out there who are uh, just getting into. Um,
1: it's a gateway no, drone. No, yeah, be yeah, That'd be your gateway
0: and yeah, a lot of the, the rogue gainers and the adventure races uh, would find that really suitable. So that makes sense. You
1: should have a talk to Dougal about the Enduro trail tra- tra- run. Kind
0: <laughs> of sell on for the next season. <laughs> yeah. Just royalties, royalties,
1: royalties, royalties, <laughs> please. <laughs> no, they can keep them. Anyway, good to chat, man. we well, we'll see you next month, Tom. Yep. See ya.
0: If you liked the show please support it by sharing this podcast with one person who would benefit from it. The best place to find more content like this is at genebeverage.nz, where you can find years of training blogs, race reports, podcasts, and coaching videos. If you don't want to miss future episodes, I recommend subscribing to my newsletter by visiting genebeverage.nz, or by following on social media, Perfect Flow on Facebook, and Gene Beverage on Instagram. For Q&A, send messages, to nav at perfectflow.nz